Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Steve Rogers from Captain America, issues number 402 through 409. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest, John Dorowski. Welcome back, John. Oh, thank you. And uh, I'm guessing for most people, saying those issue numbers means nothing. If you are a fan of comic books, this is a storyline where Captain America becomes a werewolf. We're doing this for the month of October, and... Uh, this, this is one of those like weird trivia bits that's just stuck with me since I was a kid and I read these stories. Uh, you know, the, the, the cap wolf is what they called it uh, within the storyline. Uh, these these issues were written by Mark Grunwald, penciled by Rick Levins, inked by Danny Bulanati, lettered by Joe Rosen and colored by Gina Going. Uh, now, John, do you remember when you first came to the cap wolf or uh, the man and wolf storyline in Captain America? Well, I imagine it's the same story you have. Yes. Uh, so I guess I, let me tell my part, and then you can tell me if you remember anything. So uh, I remember that in elementary school, they used to do those magazine drives where you could order subscriptions to magazines, and whoever sold the most got prizes from their school. It was a fundraiser for elementary schools. And one year, right after – this would have been right after I started reading comics. There were a couple – comic books that you can subscribe to and i got a subscription to captain america and it was the most exciting thing in the world for me and i loved getting these comics uh in the mail and fairly like like i i had no idea what was going on in the captain america comics this is like i said fairly early on in in my reading of comics but that was one that i recognized that's a superhero that's a comic book i want to get a subscription to that parents let me so i was gonna get 12 issues in the mail of um uh, of Captain America. And I thought it was going to last a whole year, but then it turns out that they uh, were double shipping a few in the summer. And and so these were coming fast and furious in the summer, which I didn't mind, but then it also meant I didn't get a full year. However, um, I was a good chunk through the subscription when all of a sudden it said like part one of six. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> am I going to get all the issues? Like I remember this sense of panic of not knowing if I was actually going to get the whole story uh, before my subscription ran out. Fortunately, I did uh, get get the entire Man and Wolf before it. And also, I think what I must have been doing is like before the next part of the story came back, I would go back and reread everything that had come before. So like I, you know, before part two, I reread part one and then read part two. And then when part three was coming, I read one, two and then three. Because when I started reading the first issue of the storyline, which I have not read since I was a kid, since those those very comics fell apart, you know, because because we read them so much. Um, I was like, I know exactly what's happening. <laughs> Like, like I had such nostalgic, immediate sense memories of every panel of that very first issue of the storyline. And it got less as I was going on. Like, I don't remember how this actually wraps up, probably because I only read it that one time when we got the last issue, maybe once after that. Uh, but but that first issue, I like remembered so vividly those panels and like the moments of Captain America training in the Avengers mansion through this crazy jungle gym and doing all these flips and, and Black Widow being there. Um, and, and so that's how I remember this, this is like my first major story arc in superhero comic books that I owned beginning to end. And that I read multiple times. Now, John, I'm assuming you just borrowed my issues. That's your story with this, right? Yes. But I want to add that, uh, with your panic of getting all the storyline, uh, just before this was the issues of operation galactic storm. So we had three captain America issues out of this 18, 19 part storyline. <laughs> 
including Captain America 400, which had a whole bunch of stories. But it's like, we have no idea what's actually going on in this main story here. Yes, because yeah, this it's so is right ex- when we're it was so exciting discovering, just who, to have it. discovering who these heroes are. And Galactic Storm, like, later on, we picked up a whole bunch of the issues of it. I don't know if we ever, like, put the whole piece together. But it was like... I, I own all, and all of them. the. Well, I mean, as kids, though. Like, all of the... Uh, oh, yeah every Avengers title was part of Galactic Storm. So like part one of Galactic Storm might be an Iron Man, part two in Captain America, part three in the Avengers, part four in Avengers West Coast. Uh, you know, uh, who else would have been? Part five in Thor uh, and, and uh, Wonder Man. Yeah, there's no way we were picking up all those issues as kids. Uh, yeah. And so like he said, like we, we were getting like these snippets out of Captain America. I'm like, what what is going on? And I didn't care that I didn't know it all. I was just, you know, it was just fun to start seeing these snippets of of uh you know the the larger world uh of yeah. uh, of marvel comics and and these uh you know flashes of of other characters some trivia about captain america before we dig into the man and wolf storyline uh captain america first appeared in captain america comics number 1 in 1941 he was created by jack kirby and joe simon famously this is a character that was uh punching hitler on the cover of his first comic book appearance, but before America had entered the war. So uh, it was Timely Comics at the time received mail from isolationists who were not happy to see a pop culture figure engaging in the war effort. Uh, and also from the German Bund. Yes. Uh, but then when the United States entered the war, <laughs> the, the jingoistic uh, patriotic aspects of Captain America were fully embraced uh, during World War II. However, uh, like many superheroes who had been very wrapped up, in, particularly in their covers and like promoting the war efforts as the war ended, ended um, kind of interest in the superhero genre as a whole waned for a bit. And Captain America ceased publication. There was like a blip of only a few issues of Captain America commie smasher in the 50s. Is that right, John? Am I remembering that? Yeah, they're like three issues. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Marvel largely pretends that those didn't happen, uh, except for like a few people who try and tie in every bit of uh, continuity. Uh, but then in the... St- no, actually, actually, the commie smasher is important to continuity. He, he's been pulled in a little bit more. Get... For a long time, he was forgotten, but then he got pulled well, in, right? Because his sidekick is Jack Monroe, who became Nomad and featured in his own title for 25 issues. Yes. Which I remember owning issue number one of back in the 90s. Um, back when it was a collectible. <laughs> I bet I could pick it up on eBay for less than a dollar right now. Um, the, the Then Captain America comes back in the 60s. And if you're familiar with uh, you know the, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they make a big deal about Captain America being the man out of time who was this uh, World War II patriot and then is now in the 2000s. And how does that connect? They did the same thing, only now it was the 60s and he didn't get the hippies. He didn't understand, uh, you know, the 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 world only 20 years later so so what they found is basically with captain america you can always treat him as a man out of time <laughs> if he was uh you know the, the involved in world war ii freeze him and whenever you want to pull him out he will feel just dis- discombobulated uh and and the world around him will be unfamiliar uh, because culture changes uh so much and then since that uh emergence in the 60s in the early silver age and early um marvel superhero uh rejuvenation he's never not been a part of uh, Marvel Comics, either with his own solo title, almost almost the entire time through there, uh, but also as members of of teams most prominently the Avengers um, within that. So that's kind of his comic book history. Um, Captain America in media, um, he was in the first. He was the first character from the company that is now known as Marvel Comics to ever be adapted into another medium because he w- there was a movie serial in 1944 uh, that that he appeared in. I have seen it it's been a long time i remember it not being very good 
Um, <laughs> what a movie serial from the forties, not being that great. I just remember getting frustrated because it would do the, uh, the classic movie serial where like, Oh no, at the end of this one, the plane explodes and he was on it. Oh no. And then like, this would be a week later for the viewers back in the serial. But uh, cause I was watching it on a VHS. It was like, immediately it shows now starting the next episode. Look, he exited with an airplane or a parachute and jumped out before the plane exploded. I'm like I just watched that scene. He didn't, there was no, there was no parachute. <laughs> <laughs> the last time you showed me the plane exploding, but in this version, now there's a, a parachute drifting down from the sky. Um, he also appeared in two made for TV movies in 1979 and a straight to video film in 1990 before being adapted as a core part of the Marvel cinematic universe in 2011. And I'm not going to go through, all, I'm not going to go through all his animated appearances because he has had uh, quite a few um, going back to the sixties the when there was the Marvel uh, superhero animation. Well, loosely animated <laughs> Marvel superhero yes. cartoons uh, in the 60s, but he's kind of popped up in m- m- every era of Marvel animation since then, never with his own series, but as uh, guest appearances in other character shows or in um, in Avengers cartoons, he's been around. They had announced his own series in the late 90s at the tail end of the super- superhero animation boom, but uh, never actually got produced. Uh, so that would have been after the X-Men and the, and the Spider-Man and the Superman and Batman animated series, right? Like at the tail end yeah. of all that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, before that, uh, maybe before the Avengers cartoon from that era. Yeah, there was an Avengers cartoon. And then, yeah. Or maybe it was supposed to like spin off and never, never happened. I don't know. Um, well, no, it was going to be set during World War II. Oh, that would have actually been very interesting to see. Kind of a shame. Yeah, we never got that. Like you, you can find stuff about stories and so, maybe some, some promo art. Uh, Art, yeah, promo art, but yeah, it was never actually made. Okay. Um, the most recent superhero that we talked about, well, actually, there may be one other superhero we get in before here, but but this year we talked about Bloodstorm, a version of uh, the character Storm from the X-Men who uh, gets bitten by Dracula, and in the core continuity, she gets better, but then there's been lots of alternate universe versions of Bloodstorm where people uh, this vampire version of storm where where writers are kind of fascinated with the idea of a vampire storm cap wolf has never you know appeared as frequently as bloodstorm since this storyline wrapped up but he has appeared a few times so in secret avengers number 34 cap wolf appeared uh as part of the avengers of the undead and uh when sam wilson was captain america in the comics he also turned into cap wolf and you were showing me that uh he had been turned into a werewolf when he was falcon captain america's sidekick correct Yes, and, and that is referenced in this Cap Wolf story. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess Sam Wilson has a history of becoming a werewolf as well. Oh, I love long-running convoluted continuity. And my kids made me aware of this. I had no idea. Um, I, I was reading this in preparation for the podcast, and I said to my six-year-old, come here, I want to show you a funny Captain America comic. It's going to make you laugh just to see the cover. And he said, is it when he's a werewolf? I was like, how do you know about cap wolf and he's like he's in lego superheroes because they they they've gotten more into superheroes by playing this lego superheroes game than any of the hundreds of comic books i have lying lying around the house um <laughs> they now know very esoteric and obscure marvel characters because they want to unlock every lego playable character in lego superheroes and apparently in one mission and, you can be cap wolf uh so yeah, i'm a little fascinated by this uh, game because of, of how they're being introduced as superheroes because for us it was the trading cards in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, and we get all the you know we see all these characters but have no context for really who they are and what they're doing and they're getting a similar introduction except through a video game where you get all these characters 
uh, and get some sense of who they are, but no idea of what their story really is. Yeah, and it's dozens but and dozens. You of suddenly have this encyclopedic knowledge of mm-hmm. of all these characters. And I, did, I I got this video game for them because they liked a couple of the other Lego games, not because I was trying to get them into superheroes. But now they know superheroes far better than I like any of. I, like I don't push my tastes on them. If like mm-hmm. you know, uh, my youngest is really into Iron Man. All of a sudden, I had nothing to do with that. He just decided he liked Iron Man, and so we've got some Iron Man kid books that that I've read with him. Uh, but that was kind of like as far you know, my my oldest son had had liked the Hulk and read a few of Hulk kid books, and my my middle son had liked Spider Man and read some, but they never got into my comic books or anything. But now they're like digging into like the C and D list superheroes <laughs> because of this Lego superhero yeah. game. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> some more trivia that uh, you had pulled up. Do you want to read the stuff that you pulled up here about Mark Grunewald yeah. and some of the other uh, behind the scenes information? Um, this is mostly about the writer Mark Grunewald because he's actually very important to the history of Marvel comics. Um, so he got his work in comics, working on fanzines before being hired by Marvel as an assistant editor in 1978. Uh, was promoted to editor in 1982 and named executive editor in 1987 with a special remit as Keeper of Continuity, uh, partly because he contributed extensively to the official handbook of the Marvel Universe that was published in the 80s. Now, we've talked a lot on this podcast about our fondness for like the 1990s era of comics, which would have the editor's boxes that like say, you know, if you want to know what Thor is doing, you know, you see Thor in the background of a panel. If you want to know what he's doing, go read this issue of Thor and you'll see. This one was like that on steroids with all the yeah. editor notes, which were really Mark Grunewald's notes, I'm sure, where like every character that appeared, he knew their first appearance and there'd be an editor's note like pointing you back to their first appearance and there'd be references in the dialogue to like really obscure stories um, that I only, like I, w- I don't think I would ever even be familiar that they existed without reading this these issues again. <laughs> yeah, and uh, all the char- almost all the characters here had previous connection with werewolves in the Marvel Universe and that's why they're in the story. But he had that knowledge of oh there's this werewolf story and that werewolf story that i can pull in and we'll do something with that yeah and even if it's just uh, for like the the character themselves don't end up impacting the story he makes you know this is a werewolf from this one issue of you know iron fist <laughs> or you know whatever yeah. it may be that that happened 12 years ago and i'm using that werewolf it's not actually going to affect the story but i just want you to know <laughs> this is a werewolf that has a, since this a is, previous history in marvel comics and since this is 1992 you're just starting to get the trade collections. There's no way people, most readers would have access oh, to I, those. I, even then, issues. I don't think they were like really the first trade collection I can remember. Ex- and I, this is by no means definitive. That was the only one. But the first one I actually remember was the death of Superman, which wouldn't be for another year uh, that they were actually going to be putting, you know, a whole story. Well, that, was, one. that would have really launched it. But, yeah. you know, we're around the period of like some experimentation to, with that. Re- yeah. The reprints. And, but there's like no way these obscure stories would have been reprinted and, people would have had access to them unless they wanted to spend a lot of money on back issues. I will just say like in terms of how um, the medium in which you're reading these can affect your experience. So I was reading these online from the Marvel Unlimited database, which is where you pay a monthly subscription and there's, you know, tens of thousands of comics probably. I I don't know for sure the total number that's in there. Um, But like entire runs of hundreds of issues of, uh, well, like, for example, like Captain America, like I think all four, you know, uh, all the issues before this are probably in there. <laughs> um, and this, these were issues 402 through 408. Um, and, and I also was like tempted to just keep going. But I was really tempted because I had access to this online database. Every time I saw one of those editor notes, like I can go read that issue right now. And I almost did. But I was like, <laughs> I, I don't have enough time before I'm recording this episode <laughs> that I can do, go do that. Um, but it, it, 
that's something that would have been enticing but impossible as a child reading the print issues of these as they came out. But now technology and access has changed so much that I almost wanted them to be like hyperlinked, like all those editor boxes. Yeah. Like if you go, go read this one right now, you just click on this editor's box and go to it. Uh, maybe a future project for them once they get all their comics actually up there. Yeah. I mean, there's so Still many there. Like for... there's more than you could ever read. Yeah. <laughs> there, oh, there's right a now. ton there, but then uh, there'll be t- a title. You go in and say, oh, I, you know, I know this title or I've heard about this title, never read it. I want to go read read it and they'll have a dozen issues but not not the entire the run. Rest of the yeah. run or, or yeah. it's really scattered which which are missing which it's definitely getting better and better um as as time passes yeah. and they're putting more time in and also um that there is uh for very clear reasons of supporting the the comic book shops and the, and the print model first that i think it's a six month lag before anything appears on there is that right john uh, and they i think they just changed to three months okay lag but it's not the most up to date uh, issue recently. of any of these that are out, you know that are on there. But also, like most of the stuff from the last you know ten years is there because that's I think they were starting this online database about ten years um, ago, and and it was they always were putting it on and you know digitizing it. And it's the older stuff that's more like all of a sudden you know uh, a run gets dumped on. And the, it's the major like major characters you'll find everything. Mm-hmm. I'm talking things like Alpha Flight or New Warriors. They don't have everything up yet, right? All right, so back to Gruenwald. Uh, though he did pencil a few issues, he is mostly known for his writing. He wrote Captain America for 10 years, from issue 307 to 443, only missing one issue, number 423. So that's a pretty impressive run. That is a and during that run. time, he he created several characters who have recently made their way into popular culture, such as Crossbones, who appeared in Captain America the Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. Uh, U.S. agent and Flag Smasher, who appeared in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV shows. Uh, Grunwood also wrote the first Marvel crossover event, the Contest of Champions, in 1982, as well as one of the landmark titles, Squadron Supreme, in 85 and 86, uh, which was that big inflection point in comics with Watchmen and uh, Dark Knight Returns. And Squadron Supreme is not as good as those titles, but it should be part of that conversation of changing the landscape. Of yeah, the, the, uh, the tone and superheroes. scope of what superhero comics are going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, he also created and wrote 60 issues of the cosmic superhero Quasar, a character who I would say is due for a resurgence at any point. And he, 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 could, he could come back. I think every time there's a, a new cosmic Marvel film, rumors are that Quasar is going to be involved. He never is. <laughs> Well, Nova's the big one that everyone wants, yeah. but I think yeah, I would not be surprised if Quasar shows uh-huh. up. I think there's a Quasar currently in the comics in Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's not like heavily yeah, so not dealt the, with. Not the big comeback of, oh, yeah, like, this is a character can carry their own title. For any unfamiliar yeah. listeners, yeah, I don't know the last time Quasar was dropping was a big deal. With some, some knowledge mm-hmm. about Quasar for us. Uh, Gruenwald owned a replica of Captain America's shield, which was later gifted to Stephen Colbert and First hang it, hung on the set of Colbert Report and now on the uh, is it the Late Show, Stephen Colbert? Yeah, he's on The Late Show. The yeah. night, tonight CBS, show or is, NBC's uh, Late Night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. NBC's The Tonight Show and CBS is The Late, uh, the late Show. Yeah. Well, no, there's also a Late Night, but that's uh, after The Tonight Show. Right. Yes, keep track of all your late night. Which has become less and less shows. important to do as we just watch the funny clips to make our ways on social media and YouTube rather than actually yes. watching the shows on, on network uh, television. Uh, and finally, uh, Gruenwald died of a heart attack in 1996, soon after he retired from writing comics. 
and as per his request, he was cremated and his ashes were mixed with the ink for a printing of a Squadron Supreme collection. Yes, I remember uh, hearing about that. And it's one of those moments where you're simultaneously moved and also like, is that really the right choice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's touching. Hmm. Is it? <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just go with touching and move on. Okay, well, before we get to the spoiler zone summary of this uh, storyline, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and thank you for listening. We especially want to thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to the spoiler summary of these issues. I'm just going to say there are really a lot of subplots that are being maintained in these issues, both within the oh, main story. Oh, this was the area where you had A, B, and C stories. And this one even is getting a D plot starting to be introduced here at the end. And, yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll say I kind of miss that era mm-hmm. now. Like a lot of the comics are just, here's the storyline that will be this collection. Yeah, it's, here's this five issue or six issue storyline because it's got to fit into the trade paperback and they don't want dangling threads coming out of the ends of the trade paperback. But I miss those dangling threads. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Uh, and some of that might be just nostalgia for when we were reading, but I I, I liked it. Um, I'm not going to be touching on those subplots. I'm just here for the Catwolf storyline. And also there's one or even two backup stories that appear at the end of the issue. So like it'll do the Captain America story. And then in most of these issues, there's like a crossbones backup story about like crossbones trying to get back in the good graces of red skull. And then in, in one of the last ones, there's even like two sub <laughs> backup stories. We're like, okay, here's your Captain America story. Here's your crossbone story for a few pages. And here's a Falcon story for just a couple pages. Uh, and, and so it was uh, definitely a different style of storytelling, uh, but I'm just going to be focusing on the cap wolf storyline. All right. So issue number 402 uh, cap is going to take a leave of absence from the Avengers to go look for his friend and personal pilot, John Jameson. Yes, the son of J. Jonah Jameson, uh, who has gone missing. John Jameson is a former astronaut who, after a trip trip to the moon that resulted in an encounter with a moonstone, will occasionally turn into a creature called Manwolf. So when Cap sees a report of potentially werewolf-related murders in a small town in New England named Starksboro, uh, was it Starksboro or Stark? Starksville. I can't remember now. I put down Starksboro. I think it's Starksboro. Okay, Starksboro. Uh, he says this is, you know, might be a lead to John Jameson slash Manwolf. So he goes and recruits Dr. Druid, who is a dollar store Dr. Strange, if you're wondering. Just think basically exactly Dr. Strange, but slightly less quality. Even like the hair and the, <laughs> the goatee are pretty similar to Dr. Strange. Well, this is after he just had a remodel because originally he was balding. Ah. And now he's his younger model. He's got a full, where full he has a full head, head of hair. Pulled back in a ponytail. So that's not quite Doctor Strange, but he does have uh, the classic Marvel leading man, uh, white man goatee happening. <laughs> on. Uh, during Cap and Doctor Druid's investigation, a werewolf attacks them, but the werewolf is captured by a man named Moon Hunter, who looks like the epitome of a 90s comic books character and is riding a flying motorcycle. Ed. He's named Moon Hunter. Turns out not his code name because he deals with werewolves. This is his actual last name was Moon Hunter. Yes. Uh, it's something we find out. Zach Moon Hunter. And he wears armor made of silver because he fights werewolves. <laughs> oh, not just armor. He has this weird hair covering mm-hmm. where it looks like barbed wire, but it's made of silver. Everything, everything's silver with him because, uh, again, he's, he's all about the werewolves. Issue number 403. 
Captain America fights Moon Hunter, uh, but uh, Moon Hunter gets away with the werewolf. Wolverine, meanwhile, is watching Moon Hunter as he takes the werewolf to a lab where uh, Moon Hunter has a cage, like a pit full of werewolves. Like he opens the top of this cage and drops the werewolf in and there's like dozens of werewolves down below also at the lab is dr nightshade who's using a serum she's making from jack russell's blood yes his name is jack russell uh yes he is a werewolf (laughs) um he is one of marvel's first horror comic book characters uh there was an era where they couldn't publish horror comics uh because of the comic code authority but they printed magazine sized black and white stories and one of them was werewolf by night and that one featured jack russell as the werewolf by night uh nightshade is not the boss of this operation though that's a magic bad guy named dreadmond who has stolen the moonstone dreadmond speculates that the moonstone's powers may be drawing werewolves to the town uh so it, it takes a little bit to figure it all out but all the werewolves that are in the pen underneath are not the ones they're making they are making werewolves with this serum from Jack Russell, but that's just the townspeople. Uh, but then other werewolves seem to be drawn to the area, and those are the ones that are being thrown into the pen uh, by, by Moon Hunter. So Wolverine is attacked by werewolves in the city and eventually overpowered by them in Moon Hunter. Cap and Dr. Druid arrive in town, and they are surrounded by werewolves. Issue number 404, Cap and Dr. Druid are able to escape the werewolves thanks to Druid's magic. Nightshade tries to turn Wolverine into a werewolf, but his healing factor keeps rejecting the serum, so he turns back to normal. Dreadman, though, is able to mesmerize Wolverine, so now Wolverine is under his control. When the sun comes up, the werewolves that were in the town become human again. Cap is attacked by Nightshade and Wolverine and Moon Hunter and eventually overpowered and tranquilized. He wakes up in a lab with Nightshade giving him the werewolf serum issue number four or five cap is now a werewolf but his super soldier serum and uh and his also like super will like he's just so good like that prevents him from being mesmerized by doc by dreadman uh as a werewolf with less mental power than usual though he flees uh and escapes dr druid is investigating the church in the town and he sees that it's filled with druidic artifacts he sees the moonstone there but then dreadman arrives and he and druid have a magic fight which is really just them like staring at each other and sending glowing light at one another (laughs) That's the extent of the magic fight that they have. Uh, Catwolf is captured by Moonstone, Nightshade, and thrown into that pit full of the werewolves that they are not able to control. Issue number 406. In the pit, Catwolf fights the Alpha Wolf that is the leader of the pack, and Catwolf wins. Dreadman has tied up Dr. Druid for some evil magic ceremony. Wolfsbane, who is a mutant superhero, part of X-Factor, uh, is down in the pit. And she recognizes Cap and teaches him how to speak in his wolf form. Uh, We get a quick flash to see Shatterstar of X-Force tell Cable, the leader of X-Force, that Feral, a member of X-Force, is missing. Cap Wolf, now with his somewhat established powers of speech, gives a rousing speech, sort of, and he leads the werewolves in a revolt uh, and... And he gets them to all work together to build a werewolf pyramid to reach up to the... uh, to the gate uh you know up above them and and they're able to break free and they all escape and this group uh you know this pack of werewolves go and capture moon hunter and nightshade catwolf goes to look for dreadmond and finds him at the church where he has just lit dr druid's throat and blood is spilling out and it activates the moonstone into a super magical object dreadmond puts the moonstone onto his own throat and begins to transform issue number 407 dreadmond turns into star wolf a cosmically, magically empowered werewolf. And I just want to say, this is one of my favorite issues <laughs> because all of a sudden, like, the um, bombast of the speech just changes. It's like Grunewald is really feeling like, okay, I'm just leaning into everything and the absurdity 
the uh the monologuing from our supervillains uh the the strange powers that are suddenly gonna be appearing for no reason this is all gonna get turned up to 11 <laughs> in this issue um caps werewolves from the pit and star wolves werewolves from the town get into a fight cable shows up finds feral uh being called by the moonstone uh he tranquilizes her now feral is a mutant from x-force who looks like a werewolf all the time but that's her mutant power she's not actually a werewolf uh but she's apparently being drawn in by the moonstone but now cable is there and this is a period in the early 90s where cable and wolverine were hugely popular so having them in this crossover was a major marketing move. Uh, so Cable just shows up and he just starts shooting werewolves. He's like, there's there's werewolves all around. I'm taking them all out. But Cap doesn't want him shooting. The innocent people have been transformed and he tries to stop him. Uh, and then Star Wolf is able to capture Cap Wolf and Cable. Now, Man Wolf, Jack Russell, uh, the, whose blood was being used to, to make the serum, he he's escaped and he takes uh, he finds Dr. Druid and takes him back to Nightshade's lab. Uh, so he, uh, he can see if there's anything that, that you know, any medical procedure that could help him. Turns out he's healing himself magically already. Uh, Manwolf also has Nightshade and he captures her and gives her a dose of the werewolf serum and writes on a pad uh, show us the antidote <laughs> because now you're turning into a werewolf too. So now Moonhunter has freed himself and also frees Wolverine but they were both enthralled or mesmerized by by uh, um, oh Starwolf. What was his name before? It's gone. Dreadmond. That's it. Dreadmond. Yes. Uh, so they're still you know uh, under his power, but Dr. Druid has magically healed his throat, which was cut open, and is able to break Dreadman's magical hold on Wolverine and Moonhunter. Turns out Moonhunter's not a villain per se. He was just uh, enthralled by, by Dreadman. So now Wolverine and Moonhunter join Capwolf and Cable in fighting Starwolf. Capwolf is able to rip the Moonstone off of him, which Cable then destroys. Starwolf reverts back into Dreadman and is captured. And then in issue number 408, there's this quick like epilogue. Like <laughs> 407 says, like, this is the end of the Capwolf saga. And at the end, he's still a werewolf. So issue number 408, just a quick wrap up. Uh, an evil Captain America from a different crossover event shows up and is killed. Nightshade gives everyone the antidote. And Zack Moonhunter becomes Captain America's personal pilot. The end. So that is... The Cap Wolf Saga, or Man and Wolf, I think is the official title of that storyline. Um, I do want to take a moment and read a couple lines. I said uh, issue number 407. Th there's just some fantastic dialogue. Uh, so there's one moment where Wolverine is walking around and he overhears Star Wolf at this point floating. And when I say Star Wolf and he's like this cosmic wolf, just imagine a werewolf form. But inside of it, you see the cosmos, like just distant stars glittering like a, like all black night sky but with with stars inside which was a very common like cosmic being look uh for marvel in this era but this one's a werewolf uh but he's saying people of starksboro am i not a godsend for 10 years now your township has been economically depressed then i approached your mayor with my proposition to make starksboro the site for my weekend uh seminars on getting in touch with your hairy selves all summer now throngs of people have come to your quaint new england town just to experience my radical new therapy for dealing with the stresses of modern civilization from them we've selected the brightest and the best to join with us in the rapture of the beast of beastalism they're very careful not to say bestiality but to say beastalism there uh soon we shall expand our and then he sees wolverine he says wolverine who let you out of confinement i'm like what is this monologue about economic depression in a small new england town by a wolf god who is floating and, and, in a church and it makes you wonder what his plan really was because another point uh he talks about how now that we're werewolves 
uh, we can cleanse the earth and restore it to its natural paradise. I was like, wait, so you're talking about self-actualizing people for profit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this environmental message. Yeah. And now you're a god. It feels like he's running like, a what, scam. What at, actually, is your plan here? It, yeah, it feels like he's running a scam at the Hilton by the airport. Uh, <laughs> like the self-help <laughs> course. <laughs> but actually, I'm using the Moonstone to draw all the werewolves on Earth to me. <laughs> And and convert most, yes. many of you into werewolves. Also, this issue, uh, number 407. There have been some great first lines in literature. Uh, you know, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice is a classic. Uh, you know, Dickens wrote some great first lines. The opening line of Captain America, number 407, is Captain America has been turned into a werewolf. That's all I need. I am 100% in. I will read this entire comic book if that is the opening line <laughs> to try and entice me to pick up this story. It, this storyline is a great example of how ridiculous and absurd comics, superhero comics can be, but that's also what makes them wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not going to argue in any way, shape or form that this is great literature, but I had a blast reading it. <laughs> this was just fun, particularly like when w- I had no memory that uh, Dreadman was going to turn into Star Wolf. Like I said, I remember that first issue of this so well. Uh, but then I was like, how does this thing actually end? I didn't remember that he became some content, cosmic entity, uh, you know, floating in werewolf form. It's great. I love it. Uh, give, give me more of that where you just don't care that this is absurd and weird. We're, we're just doing it. And, and I know there is a line there where like stuff can be too weird or it just doesn't work. Something about this 90s essence of comic books and I may be my familiarity with it. This one still worked for me. Well, uh, just talking about that 90s essence about it, I think that's really an important theme that comes out in this, that there is an actual message going on here, mm-hmm. not just all this fun ridiculousness. All right, well, let's let's take a do it. So we have Captain America turning into a werewolf uh, in a economically depressed New England town. Uh, what are some of the themes that you're able to pull out of Man and Wolf? All right, well, one thing is that this was published in the summer of 1992, and that's uh, right around the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. And the United States is going to enter into this national identity crisis as we're the sole superpower in the world now. What do we do with that? What does that mean? What is our uh, role on the world stage? Act? Yeah. So are, are we going to be the world's policemen? Um, are we going to go now go and promote democracy everywhere, kind of enforcing our will <laughs> on other countries? You know, what does it mean to be the sole superpower. So how are you seeing and, that explored in this storyline? I love where you're going. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not arguing against you. I just want to like, okay, so there's two premise, you know, here's the premise of like the, the real world influence, the kind of new historical reading of a text where it's like, okay, yes. the, the world is influencing the stories that are being made at a time because the authors are and, not working in a vacuum. And Captain America in this arc is going through an identity crisis, both psychologically and on a literal level. Uh, he goes through this identity crisis. Um, and the issues just before this arc, uh, issue 401, is an epilogue to Galactic Storm, where uh, at the end of that story, uh, half the Avengers, uh, so the all right, big cosmic war between Shi'ar and Kree. At the end of it, the was Kree it, Supreme was Intelligence. Was Shi'ar and Kree or was that Kree and Scrolls? No, that was Shi'ar. No, this was Shi'ar, Shi'ar and Kree. Kree. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is Kree Supreme Intelligence sets off a nega bomb that destroys most of his own civilization because he wants to jumpstart uh, genetic development. Um, and the vendors say, well, 
you know, at the end of this, we're like, well, what do we do? You know, like, how do we bring justice to this? And half the Avengers say, well, Supreme Intelligence needs to pay. We're going to go kill him. And Captain America is on the other side saying, no, that's not justice. And so they get back to Earth and he's trying to figure out, well, what's my place on the Avengers now that all these people went off and became killers? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's my place in the world? And uh, I want to read a quote from that issue. 401. He, uh, Captain America is pondering and thinks, seems like my style of professional behavior is out of fashion at odds with this increasingly violent society. Maybe guys like the Punisher, Cable, and Wolverine are the answer to the kind of threats America faces today. Maybe bad attitudes and lax moral codes are the only way to make headway. The values I've striven for my entire career seem so untenable in this present climb, but without them, what am I? And we definitely and see in, the- in this storyline, Wolverine and Cable are representatives of that more exactly. blood and guts, grim and gritty superhero version that was very much on the rise in the 90s in comic books. And Captain America is placed in a position where he could embrace that. He becomes a special form and says, oh, well, I could just let uh, all this violence out mm-hmm. that I've held in. And uh, so he has this internal struggle where he has to decide, well, am I going to be the man or the beast? And he, of course, decides on the man he wants. He's principled. That is who he is. As he So as he says at the end of that quote in 401, without these values, who am I? Well, I'm me. I have to have these values to be who I am. Even if I'm in this werewolf form, I'm going to be a principled leader. And so that's a, we get a lot of comic books that are quite, have identity crises in this era where they're exploring, you know, what does it mean to be a hero? Spider-Man's going to have a dark version that ends up as Venom. Well, you, know, in this you have era. the death of Superman mm-hmm. and uh, Batman has a bat bro- back broken. And, and you have all these replacement More heroes. violent Batman takes his place. Mm-hmm. And... Ultimately, we're well, this is where the is, X-Men have like X-Force taking on, you know, a different role than what the X-Men have been, too. So, yeah, there's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and so we come back to these traditional values, uh, both as superheroes and as a society. Ultimately, they went out after a few years of exploring this. Yeah. And, re- um, you know, and that- even like right now, Captain America has been in the news because some people have made a talking point in a recent issue. He was questioning if the American dream is an American dream for everyone, kind of recognizing some of the social issues that are happening right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And some people are like, why are they making Captain America woke? Like Captain America has always been that everyone. <laughs> like He's yeah. always been super political and pretty liberal, actually, uh, <laughs> despite wearing the flag and being this, uh, you know, this um, super patriotic flavored hero um one of the most famous storylines for captain america is where he gives up the costume during the nixon era and becomes nomad because he's like i don't know if i can represent these values uh you know that i see coming from the top uh in in this era right now uh and, and so the idea of like captain america engaging with uh through very uh, broad metaphor of superheroes and the larger than life, you know, extraordinary superhero genre elements. Uh, but the, all the writers know this is Captain America. This needs to say something about America. Uh, and so I don't think it's a stretch to try and find that. Uh, it's very much there. Yeah. And then going along with some of those themes, um, this was, like I said, written probably at the beginning of 90, 1992. And that would have been just right after um, like a month or so after the superstar artists that were making a lot of money for Marvel walked out and to found image comics. So within the industry, and, this is a key moment 
yeah, this is an, historically an point. where um, you had Marvel and DC as, you know, and they remain like they're the two big, you know, uh, kaiju fighting <laughs> and everyone, everyone else in the publishing industry is is a much smaller figure, except there's this moment in 1992 where all, all the big name artists say um, because of creative rights issues and uh, editorial control and all these other issues that are part of working for uh, large companies that own the intellectual property that's being produced. Let's go do that for ourselves. And they form a third well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say third, but, but what becomes like the third most popular comic book company, uh, Image Comics. Uh, and, and so there's been a massive shift in terms of creator rights and control and an exodus of talent from Marvel and DC into uh, Image Comics. Yeah, but also the things those uh, artists were creating for Marvel and then for Image were these more extreme heroes. Uh or, you know, they exist in the moral gray area, could be anti-heroes. Uh, so there's an artist for Wolverine, uh, Rob Liefeld, who created Cable. And and was doing uh, the X-Force comics that I just referenced a yeah. little bit ago. Uh, they're the ones that left. And so... And uh, yeah. Tom McFarlane, was he the one that... I know he's involved with Spider-Man at the time. Did he create... Was he a co-creator on Venom? Like the, the version of Venom that we know? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, uh, I'm not... Yeah. So it's it's around one. the same era where Venom was yeah. very popular and McFarlane was known as the Spider-Man artist. So he probably was involved. So I will, I will check. Cause that, like the, yeah. it's one of those though, like as soon as I search for who created it, like what do you call like the first version of Venom too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they're creating these more extreme heroes that have, as Captain America says, uh, lax morals and bad attitudes. Uh, and these are extremely popular. Uh, these are what's making money for comic book companies and leading to uh, this partly contributing to this big speculator boom of those yeah. few years. Todd McFarlane is listed as a creator Venom, but because it's like an alien costume that was on Peter Parker for a while, there's lots of creators listed, but uh, Todd McFarlane is one of them. Okay. Um, and yeah, uh, the, I, I remember at this time, like you could find, uh, like I mentioned, getting Cable and Wolverine into this was a deliberate marketing thing. I, I, and I'm sure it was uh, because of their popularity, but I also remember like miniseries where it was like, uh, you know, Cable and Ghost Rider and Wolverine, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. we're going to do these three uh, or, or Punisher, uh, you know, was another one of the, these kinds of characters uh, where it's like even as um, Image is going to become uh, very known for like an even more stylized, sensationalized version of those kinds of characters with things like Spawn and Youngblood. Uh Marvel is still following that pattern. Like this is very much uh, a movement within the industry as a whole that gets represented and kind of codified by that image. The, those artists who break off to image, but you see, still see it happening in Marvel and DC. Yeah. And so part of the story is by having Wolverine and cable come in, not just the cash grab, which it would have been, but it's also integration of, well, how does Captain America fit with these characters? Uh, who, uh, whose values are right. And being a Captain America car comic, this is, lands on the side of Captain America. He stops Cable from shooting, mm. destroying Cable's gun, uh, stops Wolverine from uh, really violently attacking anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and his principles went out. He's able to uh, use his leadership. And he, this is to, even as he himself, Captain America, is like at his most violent form, uh, you know, yes. least, least, um, driven by uh you know his, his human moral compass he like like this is uh you know a bestial form of this character but even then uh his his morality is what's going to drive uh his decision making yes and so 
uh, it's taking place as part, within this conversation about, well, where do traditional characters fit in uh, with these new, more violent heroes? And so I, yeah, I see this you know, story as part of part of that conversation. And I think it's something that Grunwald will continue on. I know that at the end of the run, uh, he does some more of this uh, 90s style where Captain America starts losing his power and gets, has to get a armored suit mm-hmm. to help battle. And he starts uh, looking at potential replacements like Jack Flag. Right. And U.S. Agent is, is from that. Uh, no, U.S. Agent is much earlier. Okay, earlier. He's from the beginning of Grunewald's run. And one thing I think that, that we can even layer in with this as well is that you get this kind of uh the only one's an original character in this uh moon hunter feels like this very absurd like embracing of some of these tropes where like okay i'm gonna grab a, a word from column a and a word from column b <laughs> smash them together it might be blood and moon or or storm and and lightning you know just we're gonna grab two th- words and smash them together and get a new character and this one moon hunter and he does look like you know, the, the, he's got this crazy armor, and there's all these, uh, you know, glistening well, is drawn on all this crosshatch. And that style. crazy armor, um, crazy armor is underneath the leather jacket, mm-hmm. and he has the boots that go up to the knee. Yeah, and he has that thing strapped to one leg. <laughs> yes. Um, but at the end of this, like Captain America reaches out and says, "Hey, c- can we work together?" And and like he he he, you can fully see a version where Marvel tried to make this character, um, you know, an anti-hero or you know something. And that okay, yeah, he was controlled by Dreadman, but now he's free, but he's still going to go out and hunt werewolves or something like that. Captain was like, "Hey, you want to come be essentially my sidekick?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> so so they're like, "There's this um, introduction of the character that feels like all these other tropes of the period that gets pulled into Captain America's sphere of influence." Yeah, and he's going to stay on as a recurring character through the rest of Grunewald's run. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the... Um, I don't know if redemption's quite the right word. But, but, but like, um, pointed in a new direction, thanks to Captain America. Yeah, so like taking, taking this 90s, very 90s character and saying, well, can you can we uh, send him in a more principled direction and maybe start rehabilitating him? And I don't know how successful it was. Well... Not that successful because he hasn't appeared yeah, much since Grunwald. Sure, since Grunwald lost the title, uh, it, you know, hasn't shown much. Um, but I, I think that's something that's really interesting about the core of who Captain America is as a character. Um, that there is, um, it, it's not the patriotism that's at its core. That's part of it, but it's it's about mm-hmm. the morality and the moral right, and that's why he will lay down the flag at times when he doesn't agree with what he's seeing, and even in you know, in the Marvel cinematic universe, they do this neat turn where um, Iron Man begins as the outsider hero who's like on the fringe and uh, you know, you existing outside of civilization to protect civilization. And Captain America is the establishment hero, um, you know, supported uh, to, to uphold the current norms and, and, you know, created by the government, you know, very much government agent and and they switch roles (laughs) through civil war um, and, you know, through age of Ultron and and civil war, they they switch places and and Captain America, because of what he senses as like the moral right uh, can't be that establishment character. And, Iron Man, because of what he perceives as his maturation and his recognition of of his place in the world, actually becomes an establishment character. And uh, I, th- I think this is something very savvy that the MCU did that a lot of people who just wants to write it off as blockbusters maybe don't don't recognize. Um, there's some really interesting story beats with some of the you know the, the core characters have such uh, a great evolution um, and to the point that they can literally switch side you know switch switch places in terms of the the kind of uh, heroic trope that they're embodying. Yeah. Um, is there anything else from 
this storyline, Man and Wolf, that you want to make sure we touch on? Well, like you mentioned, there's all these added boxes or they reference in the in the dialogue um, that all of these characters existed before and came from these older stories. And that's part of Grunewald's role as Keeper of Continuity. So I just want to mention a few of them to explain why they're in this story. So uh, Nightshade first appeared in a Captain America comic from the 70s where her first appearance, she was Queen of the Werewolves and turned uh, Sam Wilson the Falcon into a werewolf. And so that explains, like, like you have this uh, Professor Nightshade here. It's like, what exactly is she doing here besides research? It's like, no, she has uh, this legacy and I, of being with werewolves. I've never read that issue, but you put the cover of it in our in our uh, script that we look at for for you know to guide our discussion, and it looks like a seventies black exploitation film. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, what we have there, it's a, uh, it's a different version of the character that's it that's in this one. Uh, and then the first werewolf that Captain America encounters and Moon Hunter captures is a female werewolf named Ferocia. Mm-hmm. And well, she's not actually a werewolf. She's a wolf that was turned human. <laughs> I mean, it's similar. We get so, uh, Wolf uh, Spain and, um, and, uh, uh, feral. Uh, feral. Neither of them are it's werewolves like, either. Or Wolverine. And I remember reading this originally. I'm like, I'm not sure what those characters are doing here because they're not werewolves. They're mutants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ferocia is uh, ties in with Iron Fist. Uh, so the origin of Iron Fist is that as a boy, he and his family were flying over Asia, plane crashes in the mountains. Um, the dad dies in the crash. And the mother and Danny, the son, are uh, trying to skip through a the mountain. They get chased by wolves uh, and reach this bridge. The mother stays behind to fight off the wolves while Danny crosses the bridge into the mystical city of Kunlun and he becomes a Kung Fu warrior. And there's a um, the leader... poorly received uh, Netflix miniseries about Iron Fist. Yes. Uh, the leader of the wolf pack that attacked Danny's mom mm-hmm. becomes Ferocia. Okay, go on, because I did not know this backstory <laughs> at all. And uh, uh, so... so I, I, I barely understand it because I had to look it up and know, read stuff. I didn't read the issues. Do you know how... She moves from being I a wolf think it was... into, I, and I'm, I don't, I want to acknowledge something. I'm a little sensitive about this whole episode that we've been doing because I've been made fun of for how I pronounce the word, the word wolf, and I don't know the right way anymore. Like I always question that I'm saying it right, and I've had to say it about seventy times so far. So if you are one of those listeners who are like, mm, that's not how you say the word, the word wolf or wolf, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, well, it was just Joe, really hitting Joe, me. Just so you don't. Feel... <laughs> Joe, just so you don't feel bad, I have that same problem with the word. Not that we've said it in this episode, but apparently I say poem reared. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, and you know what? It, it didn't bother me when you said it. It was fine, John. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, like, I haven't heard, noticed anything about how you're pronouncing wolf. No. Uh, so go ahead. All Joe. right. Thank you. L- live your bliss. So do you know how a leader of a wolf pack became a werewolf type figure at all or just you know that's the that it is <laughs> what happened um it, i think it was a mystical thing in kunlun that sounds reasonable knowing kunlun if you give do. me a moment i can check the recesses of my mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and iron fist just we go ahead and put it out there it has all the issues with white saviordom that you would expect a uh, a story about 
a a white man learning mystic arts in an Asian country that was created in the I want to say seventies when Iron Fist uh, was made. That maybe there wasn't mm-hmm. as much thought put into it as would be ideal in terms of cultural sensitivity. Uh, but it is now part of you know Marvel lore for for decades, and uh, current writers do their best to, uh, to try and balance some of the issues that were completely ignored and trodden upon in uh, previous iterations of the character. Yes. All right, I've searched, and uh, Ferocia Orfera, as she appears to go by now, was granted a semi-human shape by the sorcerer Master Khan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he took control of her with the amulet of Shirayr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She later tore off the amulet and freed herself while Khan was in battle with Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Okay. Well. And she's made a couple of other appearances uh, besides that story and this one, but... Not a major figure. See, that's one thing I love. Don't, that Mark don't expect her to show up in any of the adaptations her in, soon. Because I would guess the people who created that character had forgotten that she existed by the time Mark yeah. Grunewald is having her appear in Man and Wolf, Captain America issue number 402. Yeah, and that's and like that's one of the great things about this. Like I said, it's ridiculous. It's pulling in all these obscure stories, but that makes it wonderful. And... Uh, as I said, Grunwald's role at this time as executive editor was keeper of continuity. He was partly making sure everyone, every title tied together somehow that made sense, but also knew the, all the lore. So much so that when Walter Simonson created the Time Variance Authority during his Thor run, uh, the TVA that appeared recently in the Loki television show, uh, it was manned entirely by variants of Mark Grunwald. <laughs> um, and it was to the point where I, I can't remember. I've read all of X-Force at some point in my life. I've read that entire run. I am confident there's probably a panel where Shatterstar says to Cable, Farrell's missing, and he's like, I'll go take care of it. And then it doesn't get picked up again in X-Force, but it happens over here in Captain America. Yeah, there'll be a little blurb at the bottom saying, go see Captain America 408 for the story. <laughs> yes, and I love that kind of stuff, that that uh, tightly interlocked continuity. And I completely understand why it's gone by the wayside in, as publishing demands and audience expectations have shifted in the decades. But I, I really mm-hmm. do like it. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that I really liked about this um, was the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not f- really familiar with Rick Levins. He's not one of the uh, really known names of artists, but uh, I thought he did an excellent job. And with uh, Inker Denny Bolanati, something I've really come to appreciate uh, in recent years is inking. Um, as current comic books are mostly drawn on computers and colored with computer technology, it seems like the page is all one thing. Like the art and colors is all uh, is all the same thing now. And there's and the step of inking isn't done the way it used, it used to be done. Yeah. And also coloring is so different because you have computerized colors. You get this huge spectrum. Whereas when uh, these issues, even though we were reading them on a cleaned up form online, uh, when they were printed, uh, you had a very small selection of colors of how and how to create the different shades. Um, but I've really come to appreciate inking and, and this one, I really thought that, uh, Rick Levins, uh, coupled with that inking, it could, it could have easily like with a different inker, this could have easily gone to that, uh, nineties extreme style that life held a lot of like McFarlane were doing muddy cross hatching for all the werewolf hair where it's just like, here's, here's like hair in motion, but you can't see it. But this was really distinctively done. I thought. Yeah. And I, I think it's. In this case, definitely a combination of the artist and the inker 
uh, that they were uh, working in that kind of classical mode. Like you could see '90s influences and mm-hmm. in, like how characters were built and such, but it didn't fall into those traps of excess. Uh, and with the coloring, uh, you have a more limited color palette because of how the printing worked. Uh, the four color contrast of yellow, magenta, black, and mm. I knew this a little shade while of blue, ago, but teal. It's not to me right teal, now. yeah, teal, indigo. Um, and so, like, this is why characters or superheroes traditionally have primary colors on their costumes, mm-hmm. uh, or and villains have secondary colors because those kind of the range you had to work with. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was it hard to get a, much more nuance into it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, looking at this, it gives it a real crisp pop. Char- uh, because you have that limited palette, they made sure that characters stood out, that they were contrasted with the background. And with the computer technology, sometimes it, the colors can get muddy uh, and you don't have because that sharp contrast. I mean, there's so much more nuance to it, but it ends up being uh, kind of, uh, you know, the, the palette is is like variations of the same color instead of really distinct yeah. colors that are popping against each other. Yeah. And... I don't want to say that what's going on with computer coloring and artistry is wrong. Uh, there's, there's definitely excellent work. And actually, I think that comic books in general are getting better at the art recently after a uh, few years where they seem to be going on a downturn. Um, it's just different. And be, seeing that contrast, I'm appreciating what happened before mm-hmm. more. All right. Well, uh, I will just say like uh, one more shout out that the place we were able to read these issues was Marvel Comics Unlimited. If you're a comic book fan, I really do recommend that. Um, very frequently during a year, there'll be a sale where you can get like the entire year um, for, I want to say like $60. Um, and then it's just kind of like a Netflix library, but it's it's all comic books. Uh, and they've done enough now that it is somewhat easy to even read on like my phone uh, where like it'll do a panel by panel hop. Uh, which, which isn't ideal. It's not my favorite, but uh, when I was trying to get through this quickly and it's like, what do I have? You know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to bed soon. I'm not at my, my desktop or anything. I can just read an issue on my phone real quick. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's maybe tempted to just keep going with Captain America. Same with like when we did Thunderbolts, we recorded Thunderbolts a, a few weeks ago and I have kept reading Thunderbolts and I'm, you know, a dozen issues past where, where we, um, more than a dozen because I think we only did the first issue <laughs> of Thunderbolts now I'm trying to think back to our discussion I just kept going because I, I really enjoyed it and I'm getting sucked back into um, a lot of Marvel comics that I hadn't revisited for a while and it's it's just been a delight um, to do that um, but I, I'm, try- I'm trying to read stuff that I haven't before that I wouldn't really have had access to mm-hmm. and uh, this is also collected in uh, a trade paperback called Captain America Man and Wolf um, and at some point soon, uh, Marvel's been uh, printing all their titles at, in what they're calling uh, epic collections, where uh, like the entire run of Captain America is being printed in these trade paperbacks. So at some point, they'll release one that has has this storyline within it. But at the moment, I don't think that one's come out yet. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So
and we'll be mm. <laughs> now I'm self-conscious about it. <laughs>